Part six of Roxana by Daniel Defoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. About two hours after he was gone came a leaden hall basket woman with a whole load of good things for the mouth. The particulars not to the purpose, and brought orders to get supper by eight o'clock. However, I do not intend to begin to dress anything till I saw him, and he gave me time enough, for he came before seven, so that Amy, who had gotten one to help her, got everything ready in time. We went down to supper about eight, and were indeed very merry. Amy made us some sport, for she was a girl of spirit and wit, and with her talk she made us laugh very often, and yet the jade managed her wit with all the good manners imaginable but to shorten the story. After supper he took me up into his chamber where Amy had made a good fire, and there he pulled out a great many papers and spread them upon a little table, and then took me by the hand, and after kissing me very much, he entered into a discourse of his circumstances, and of mine, how they agreed in several things exactly. For example, that I was abandoned of a husband in the prime of my youth and vigour, and he of a wife in his middle age. How the end of marriage was destroyed by the treatment we had either of us received, and it would be very hard that we should be tied by the formality of the contract when the essence of it was destroyed. I interrupted him and told him there was a vast difference between our circumstances, and that in the most essential part, namely that he was rich and I was poor that he was above the world, and I infinitely below it. And his circumstances were very easy, mine miserable, and this was an inequality the most essential that could be imagined. As to that, my dear, says he, I have taken such measures as shall make an equality still. With that he shewed me a contract in writing, wherein he engaged himself to me, to cohabit constantly with me to provide for me in all respects as a wife, and repeating in the preamble a long account of the nature and reason of our living together, and an obligation in the penalty of seven thousand pounds never to abandon me, and at last shewed me a bond for five hundred pounds to be paid to me, or to my assigns, within three months after his death. He read over all these things to me, and then in a most moving affectionate manner and in words not to be answered he said now my dear is this not sufficient can you object anything against it if not as i believe you will not then let us debate this matter no longer with that he pulled out a silk purse which had three score guineas in it and threw them into my lap, and concluded all the rest of his discourse with kisses, and protestations of his love, which, indeed, I had abundant truth. Pity humane frailty, you that read of a woman reduced in her youth, and primed the utmost misery and distress, and raised again as above 
by the unexpected and surprising bounty of a stranger i say pity her if she was not able after all these things to make any more resistance however i stood out a little longer still i asked him how he could expect that i could come into a proposal of such consequence the very first time it was moved to me and that i ought if i consented to it to capitulate with him that he should never upbraid me with easiness and consenting too soon he said no but on the contrary he would take it as a mark of the greatest kindness i could show him then he went on to give reasons why there was no occasion to use the ordinary ceremony of delay and to wait a while to avoid scandal but as this was private it had nothing of that nature in it that he had been courting me some time by the best of courtship the doing acts of kindness to me and that he had given testimonies of his sincere affection to me by deeds not by flattering trifles and the usual courtship of words which are often found to have very little meaning he took me not as a mistress but as his wife and protested it was clear to him he might lawfully do it and that i was perfectly at liberty and assured me by all that it was possible for an honest man to say that he would treat me as his wife as long as he lived in a word he conquered all the little resistance i intended to make he protested he loved me above all the world and begged i would for once believe him that he had never deceived me and never would but would make it his study to make my life comfortable and happy and to make me forget the misery i had gone through i stood still a while and said nothing but seeing him eager for my answer i smiled and looked up at him and must i say says i say yes at first asking must i depend upon your promise why then said i upon the faith of that promise and the sense of that inexpressible kindness you have shown me you shall be obliged and i will be wholly yours to the end of my life and with that i took his hand which held me by the hand and gave it a kiss And thus, in gratitude for the favours I received from a man with all sense of religion and duty to God, or regard to virtue and honour, given up at once, and we were to call one another man and wife, who in the sense of the laws, both of God and our country, were no more than two adulterers, in short, a whore and a rogue nor as i have said above was my conscience silent in it though it seems his was for i sinned with open eyes and thereby had a double guilt upon me as i always said his notions were of another kind and he either was before of the opinion or argued himself into it now that we were both free and might lawfully marry i was quite of another side nay in my judgment was right but my circumstances were my temptation the terrors behind me looked blacker than the terrors before me 
dreadful argument of wanting bread and being run to the horrible distresses I was in before, mastered all my resolution, and I gave myself up as above. The rest of the evening we spent very agreeably to me. He was perfectly good-humoured, and was at that time very merry. Then he made Amy dance with him, and I told him I would put Amy to bed to him. Amy said with all her heart she never had been a bride in her life. In short, he made the girl so merry that had he not been to lie with me the same night, I believe he would have played the fool with Amy for half an hour. The girl would no more have refused him than I intended to do, yet before I had always found her a very modest wench, as any I ever saw in all my life, but in short the mirth of that night, and a few more such afterwards ruined the girl's modesty for ever, as shall appear by and by in its place. So far does fooling and toying sometimes go that I know nothing a young woman has to be more cautious of. So far had this innocent girl gone in jesting between her and I, and in talking that she would let him lie with her, if he would but be kinder to me, that at last she let him lie with her in earnest, and so empty was I now of all principle that I encouraged the doing it almost before my face. I say but too justly that I was empty of principle, because as above I had yielded to him, not as deluded to believe it lawful, but as overcome by his kindness and terrified at the fear of my own misery if he should leave me. So with my eyes open and with my conscience, as I may say, I awake, I sinned, knowing it to be sin, but having no power to resist, when this has thus made a hole in my heart. And I was come to such a height as to transgress against the light of my own conscience, I was then fit for any wickedness, and conscience left off speaking, where it found it could not be heard. But I return to our story. Having consented as above to his proposal, we had not much more to do. He gave me my writings and the bond of my maintenance during his life and for five hundred pounds after his death, and so far was he from abating his affection to me afterwards, two years after we were thus, as he called it, married, he made his will and gave me a thousand pound more, and all my household stuff, plate, etc., which was considerable too. Amy put us to bed, and my new friend I cannot call him husband was so well pleased with Amy for her fidelity and kindness to me, that he paid her all the arrear of her wages that I owed her, and gave her five guineas over, and had it gone no farther, Amy had richly deserved what she had, for never was a maid so true to a mistress in such dreadful circumstances as I was in, nor was what followed more her own fault than mine who led her almost into it at first, and quite into it at last, and this may be a farther testimony what a hardness of crime I was now arrived to, which was owing to the conviction that was from the beginning upon me that I was a whore, not a wife, nor could I ever frame my mouth to call him 
husband, or to say my husband, when I was speaking of him. We lived surely the most agreeable life, the grand exception, only excepted that ever to live together he was the most obliging gentlemanly man, and the most tender of me, that ever woman gave herself up to. Nor was there ever the least interruption to our mutual kindness, no, not to the last day of his life. But I must bring Amy's disaster in at once, that I may have done with her. Amy was dressing me one morning, for now I had two maids, and Amy was my chambermaid. Dear madam, says Amy, what aren't you with child yet? No, Amy, says I, nor any sign of it. Law, madame, says Amy, what have you been doing? Why have you been married a year and a half? I warrant you master would have got me with child twice in that time. It may be so, Amy, says I, let him try, can't you? No, says Amy, you'll forbid it now. Before I told you he should with all my heart, but I won't now, now he's all your own. Oh, says I, Amy, I'll freely give you my consent. It will be nothing at all to me. Nay, I'll put you to bed to him myself one night or other, if you are willing. No, madame, no, says Amy, not now he's yours. Why, you fool, you, says I, I don't, I tell you, I'll put you to bed to him myself. Nay, nay, says Amy, if you put me to bed to him, that's another case. I believe I shall not rise again very soon. I'll venture that, Amy, says I. After supper that night, and before we were risen from table, I said to him, Amy being by, hark ye, do you know that you are to lie with Amy to-night? No, not I, says he, but turns to Amy. Is it so, Amy, says he? No, sir, says she. Nay, don't say no, you fool, did not I promise to put you to bed to him? But the girl said no. Still, and it passed off. At night, when we came to go to bed, Amy came into the chamber to undress me, and her master slipped into bed first. Then I began and told him all that Amy had said about my not being with child, and of her being with child twice in that time. Ay, Mrs. Amy, says he, I believe so too. Come hither, and we'll try. But Amy did not go. Go, you fool, says I, can't you? I freely give you both leave. But Amy would not go. Nay, you whore, says I, you said if I would put you to bed you would with all your heart, and with that I sat her down, pulled off her stockings and shoes and all her clothes, piece by piece, and led her to the bed to him. Here, says I, try what you can do with your maid. Amy, she pulled back a little would not let me pull off her clothes at first, but it was hot weather, and she had not many clothes on, and particularly no stays on. And at last, when she see I was in earnest, she let me do what I would. So I fairly stripped her, and then I threw upon the bed and thrust her in. I need say no more. This is enough to convince anybody that I did not think him my husband, and that I had cast off all principle and all modesty and had effectually stifled conscience 
Amy, I dare say, began now to repent and would fain have got out of bed again, but he said to her, Nay, Amy, you see your mistress has put you to bed. Tis all her doing. You must blame her. So he held her fast, and the wench being naked in the bed with him, twas too late to look back. So she lay still, and let him do what he would with her. Had I looked upon myself as a wife, you cannot suppose I would have been willing to have let my husband lie with my maid, much less before my face, for I stood by all the while. But as I thought myself a whore, I cannot say but that it was something designed in my thoughts that my maid should be a whore too, and should not reproach me with it. Amy, however, less vicious than I, was grievously out of sorts the next morning, and cried, and took on most vehemently, that she was ruined and undone, there was no pacifying her, she was a whore, a slut, and she was undone, undone, and cried almost all day. I did all I could to pacify her. A whore, says I, well, and am not I a whore as well as you? No, no, says Amy, no, you are not, for you are married. Not I, Amy, says I, I do not pretend to it. He may marry you to-morrow, if you will, for anything I would do to hinder it. I am not married. I do not look upon it as anything. Well, all did not pacify Amy, but she cried two or three days about it, but it wore off by degrees. But the case differed between Amy and her master exceedingly, for Amy retained the same kind temper she always had, but on the contrary he was quite altered, for he hated her heartily, and could, I believe, have killed her after it, and he told me so, for he thought this a vile action, whereas what he and I had done he was perfectly easy in thought it just, and esteemed me as much his wife as if we had been married from our youth, and had neither of us known any other. Nay, he loved me, I believe, as entirely as if I had been the wife of his youth. Nay, he told me it was true, in one sense, that he had two wives, but that I was the wife of his affection, the other the wife of his aversion. I was extremely concerned at the aversion he had taken to my maid Amy, and used my utmost skill to get it altered, for though he had indeed debauched the wench, I knew that I was the principal occasion of it, and as he was the best-humoured man in the world, I never gave him over till I prevailed with him to be easy with her. And as I was now become the devil's agent to make others as wicked as myself, I brought him to lie with her again several times after that, till at last, as the poor girl said, so it happened, and she was really with child. She was terribly concerned at it. And so was he, too. Come, my dear, says I, when Rachel put her handmaid to bed to Jacob, she took the children as her own. Don't be uneasy, I'll take the child as my own. 
had not I a hand in the frolic of putting her to bed to you, it was my fault as much as yours. So I called Amy and encouraged her too, and told her that I would take care of the child, and her too, and added the same argument to her, for, says I, Amy, it was all my fault. Did not I drag your clothes off your back and put you to bed to him? Thus I, that had indeed been the cause of all the wickedness between them, encouraged them both when they had any remorse about it, and rather prompted them to go on with it than to repent of it. When Amy grew big, she went to a place I had provided for her. The neighbours knew nothing, but that Amy and I was parted. She had a fine child, indeed, a daughter. We had it nursed. Amy came again in about half a year to live with her old mistress. But neither my gentleman or Amy either cared for playing that game over again, for, as he said, the jade might bring him a house full of children to keep. End of section 6